you have young children or young grandchildren, you know that they ask lots of questions. Their little minds are curious. They're trying to understand the world in which we live, and so they just bombard people with questions like, why is the sky blue? How much water is in the ocean? What are bananas made of? And the older we get, we don't stop asking questions. We just start asking different questions. When we get older, we don't ask questions like, why is the sky blue and how much water is in the ocean and what are bananas made of? When we get older, we start asking questions like, am I going to go to college? Where am I going to go to college? Who am I going to marry? Am I going to get married? Why did I get married? We start asking different types of questions that we're trying to figure out. Well, this morning, I want us to look at this one particular question. Why is it that we name the name of Jesus above every other? You can have regular conversations with people of all different types of faith. You can talk about God or a supreme being. But the moment you introduce the name Jesus, there's division. But we still, despite the fact that many in this world reject Jesus as our Messiah, as our Savior, we still say that he is the name above every other name. Why? To do so, I want us to look, from, to look at that topic. I want us to look at Matthew chapter 8 this morning. Last week, we began a, three, a short three-part series on glorious God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so last week, we talked about God as our Father. This morning, we're going to talk about Jesus. And the next Sunday, we're going to t- look at the Holy Spirit. By the time we get to these verses, Jesus' ministry had, be- had begun to grow. People had heard of the the miracles that he had performed. They had heard of the lessons that he had taught. And so everywhere Jesus went, a crowd began to gather because they did not want to miss the next miracle that Jesus performed or to hear the next sermon that Jesus taught. And so as the word began to spread about Jesus, people gathered to where he was and they also asked him for help. Well, that's what we're going to see today in Matthew chapter 8. Beginning in verse 5, Matthew wrote for us, When Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him. Now, you probably can guess this. A centurion was a Roman military official, and he had 100 soldiers under him. Century, you can see that. So this Roman soldier would have had 100 soldiers who were in his direction. And so this centurion came to Jesus pleading with him, Lord, My servant is lying at home paralyzed in terrible agony. Jesus said to him, am I to come and heal him? Do you want me to come to your house and heal him? Lord, the centurion replied, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, having soldiers under my command. I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. Hearing this, Jesus was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with so great a faith. I tell you that many will come from east and west to share the banquet with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus told the centurion, Go. As you have believed, let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that very moment. This scene illustrates two 
particular reasons why those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus put his name above every other name. The first reason is because we believe that Jesus has perfect power. We believe that there's not anything that Jesus cannot do. We believe that even when people are facing odds that seem to be impossible, that Jesus has perfect capability to overcome what seems to be insurmountable. We believe that Jesus has perfect power, that he can do anything and is not limited in any way by anything that is going on in circumstances. Now, here in this passage, the centurion showed his perfect faith or his faith in Jesus' perfect power in in several different ways. First, he went to where Jesus was and he said, Jesus, I've heard about other miracles that you have performed. You have opened a blind people's eyes. You, in fact, have healed lame people's legs, and I have a particular situation back at my house that I would like your help with. I have a servant. He's a very faithful servant. He's a good servant, but he's at home paralyzed. We don't get any details as to why the servant was paralyzed. Apparently, at some point, he had been able to work because he's called a servant here. And so we don't know if he had some sort of neurological disease which attacked his nervous system and, and, and kept him from being able to walk anymore or if he had suffered some sort of accident. We just know that at one time he was able to work and serve and now he wasn't. And so the centurion went to Jesus and said, I want you to heal my servant. And Jesus said to him, Do you want me to go to your house and heal him? But the centurion had such great faith in Jesus that he said, Jesus, you don't have to come to my house. I've heard about what you're able to do. Maybe even he had witnessed it. And so he said, you can just say the word from right here. That's the confidence that I have in you. You don't have to go back to my house. If you speaking where you are will just say the word then I believe my servant will be healed. He was showing his faith in Jesus' perfect power. He said, Jesus, you don't even have to come to my house. Just speak it from right here. That's how much faith I have in you. And then the centurion went on to explain the reason for his faith in Jesus' power. He said there in verse uh, 9, For I too am a man under authority, having soldiers under my command. I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. He said, Jesus, I know what it is like to tell people what to do. I'm a centurion. I have soldiers under my command. And I, and I say to them, hey, you clean up the campsite. You get the tents ready. And that's exactly what they do. And I tell this one, hey, you boil the water so that we will be ready for dinner. And that's exactly what they do. And I tell others to keep watch and be guard during the night. And that's exactly what they do. And so, Jesus, when I speak, things happen. And when you speak, things happen. But... Perhaps you noticed it, as I did, that it seems that the centurion chose the wrong preposition. Did you notice that? He said, for I too am a man under authority, having soldiers under my command. Then he goes on to tell that that people obey his commands. But but everything that he said seems to indicate that he he should have said, for I am a man in authority. Or I am a man with authority, but instead, he, he didn't use the word in authority or with authority. He said, I am a man under authority, and people do what I say. Well, what possibly could he mean? Because it seems like he's talking about being in authority or with authority. 
Here's what the centurion was saying. He said, he said, Jesus, I have 100 soldiers under me. And if they chose to, they could overpower me. They, they all could, could strike against me and they could say, no, we're not, going to, we're not going to boil the water. No, we're not going to watch over camp. No, we're not going to, to set up the tents. But there's a reason that they do what I say. And that reason is because when I speak, the words aren't just coming from one man's mouth. I am under the authority of the general that is above me. And he's under the authority of the general that is above him. And he's under the authority of the general that is above him. In fact, the authority goes all the way back to Rome where Caesar is sitting on his throne. And so when I speak, the full authority of the Roman government backs what I say. And that's why things happen. And the centurion was saying, Jesus, when you speak, I don't believe it's just the words coming out of one man's mouth. I believe when you speak, the full authority of all of heaven backs what you say. And so when you speak, it isn't just you speaking, it's all of heaven moving. And so you can say the words from right here, and my servant will be healed. Jesus has perfect power. There's not a person in this room who ever will come into circumstances that are too much for Jesus. You won't ever go into a dark valley and say, oh, I don't know if I'm going to make this because this one may be too big for the Lord. It never is. He can do whatever we need. During my student ministry days, it was not unusual for us to go off on various trips during the summer. And sometimes those trips might involve stopping at an amusement park. Six Flags Over Georgia or other places like that. And when we would zip into the amusement parks, you know if you have been to one of these parks that in addition to the built-in roller coasters and, and other attractions, that they have some separate activities that you can do to pay money for. And one of the very first of those new activities that you could pay money for was bungee jumping. And so whenever we would go into these amusement parks, all of the, the kids would say, Gary, please bungee jump, please bungee jump, and I would never do it. And they would say, Gary, why, why were you not bungee jumping? I would say, I didn't bring any extra money. All I did was to bring enough money in to eat on, and so if I pay to go bungee jumping, I won't have enough money to eat. So, sorry, can't do it. We will pay for it. Please bungee jump, please bungee jump. And I would say, no, no, I'm not going to do it. Why? Why will you not bungee jump? And I would say, well, I have some minister friends of mine who, when they bungee jumped, were recorded saying some words that they weren't supposed to say. <laughs> you can only say those in deacon's meetings. And so I'm, I'm not going, no, we will not record it. Please bungee jump. Please bungee jump. And I would say, no, I... I'm not going to do that. Why? Why will you not bungee jump? And I would say, well, I did not bring any extra underwear. And if I'm going to bungee jump, I'm going to need No, no, you can wear hers. Please, please bungee jump. But I would never do it. I never have. I've not ever attached myself to that cord. And you won't ever hear about it. You will never, ever hear about me bungee jumping. And here's the reason. I don't trust that cord. 
All it is is a big rubber band. Now, it's a big one, but that's all that it is. Have you ever had a rubber band in your car in the summertime and thought, hey, I'll use this snap. That's going to happen to that cord. And I don't want to be at the end of it. I don't want to be standing on that platform. I love every one of you. Thank you for helping me conquer my fears. Here I go. Boom. And then have people say, I got his gallbladder. Who's, where's got the rest of him? I do not trust that cord. The real reason that I have never bungee jumped and I never am going to bungee jump is I do not believe that that cord can hold me up. Now, I want everyone in this room to look me right in the eyes as best as you can because I'm going to tell you something that you need to hear. Jesus can hold you up. No matter what. No matter how painful the season. No matter how dark the night. No matter how lonely the valley. He has never stumbled backward and said, I just don't know if I can handle this one. He can hold you up. And this centurion went to Jesus with faith in his perfect power, saying, even though the odds seem to be impossible, Jesus, I'm coming to you because I trust you. You can do this. The greatest evidence of the perfect power of Jesus Christ is that empty tomb back over in the Middle East. On the very first Easter Sunday morning, women went to the tomb to prepare Jesus' body for permanent, for permanent burial. But when they arrived, angels greeted them and said, you're in the wrong place if you're looking for Jesus. Cemeteries are for dead people, and Jesus is alive. He said he would rise again, and he did. He has. He has perfect power. And so despite the fact that we may be in the minority, we will continue to say Jesus is the name above every other name because he has perfect power. But the centurion showed us something else in this passage. He did believe that Jesus was able to heal this man. He went to Jesus. He said, you don't even have to come to my house. Just say the word from right here. He showed faith in Jesus' perfect power. But the point is more subtle, but if you pay attention, you can see it. He also had faith in Jesus' perfect love. Not only did he believe that Jesus could heal his servant, he believed that Jesus would heal his servant. Look at what the Bible says there in verse 13. Then Jesus told the centurion, go, as you have believed. In your translation, depending on what you're reading, which is the screen probably, he, as you have believed, it would be, let it be done for you. The centurion came to Jesus, not only confident that Jesus had the capacity, the capability to heal, but he also believed that Jesus had enough compassion and love that he would heal. And that's when we really have faith. Listen, a person who, would, who will say, Oh, I know that God has perfect power, and maybe even you've said this, or, or you have heard someone say this. I have said this. Oh, I know that God can. I just don't know that he will. That's not faith. 
When you're talking about what God can do, that's theology, that's doctrine. It's only when we believe that God will do what is best that we have faith. Now, I'm not saying, please understand, I'm not saying that God always does what we want Him to do. He sometimes does not. I'm not saying that God answers all of our prayers exactly the way that we want them answered. Sometimes He does not. What I am saying is that 100% of the time, God always does what is best. We can trust Him because He has perfect love. And even when we are confused, even when we misunderstand, even when our perspective is distorted and we say, God, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Why aren't you doing something else? We still can lean on him, knowing that his love for us is perfect. And he not one time ever has done or allowed anything that he did not intend to use for our good. He has perfect love. Several years ago, I was speaking at a multi-day event in South Carolina. And after the Sunday morning service, the pastor and I were standing at the back door waiting for people uh, to make their way out. And as we were standing there shaking hands, I noticed that a young couple... Every time someone got in behind them, stepped out and said, you go ahead of us. And so I thought, they want to be the last people in line. They must have something that they want to talk to the pastor about. And so people would get in. They would say, you go ahead, you go ahead. And then when they got up to us as the last people in line, they did want to talk, but they wanted to talk with me. And they asked, do you know Michael and Julie Jones? And I said, well, I know a Michael and Julie Jones. Are you talking about those that live in the Birmingham area? And they said, yes, that's exactly who we're talking about. We went to Samford University together with them. And, we, and the wife, whose name was uh, Sarah, uh, uh, no, 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 the daughter's name was Sarah. The wife's name was Ashley. She said, I was talking to Julie just this past week. And I said, oh, Michael, I know y'all used to live in Mississippi. We have someone from Mississippi coming to speak at our church Sunday. And I wanted to ask if you knew him from when you were there. Oh, what's his name? And Julie said, is it Gary Permenter? And she said, yes, that, that, is, that is exactly who it is. How, how out of all of the people that lived in Mississippi did you pick him? And uh, Julie said, he works cheap. And so, he, you know, he gets a lot of business that way. So I figured that's why he was coming to your church. And so we caught up a little bit and we're talking some. And then as we were talking, the little daughter who may have been five or six years old, her name was Sarah Elizabeth, they called her Sarah Beth, reached out and tapped me on the leg. And I looked down and kind of squatted down and she said, Mr. Gary, give me five. And so I reached out and slapped her little hand. And then she did the trick that we all learned when we were younger. Up high, down low, in the middle. Too slow. <laughs> she thought that was the funniest thing in the world. Get out of here, kid. And so she moved on. And so then that Sunday night, they came back. Same thing. Sarah Beth, give me five. Up high, down low, in the middle. Too slow. <laughs> Monday night. Same thing. Tuesday night, same thing. The event ended on Wednesday evening. And so we finished up and people were coming by, you know, uh, 
saying goodbye and things like that. And Sarah Beth came up and she tapped me on the leg and she said, Mr. Gary, give me five. And I said, nope. Why? I said, Sarah Beth, because this is what you're going to do. I'm going to reach out and slap your hand. And then you are going to say up high, down low, in the, and you're going to move your hand out and go, too slow. She said, I will not do that. I said, do you promise? Do you cross your heart? Do you hope to die? And so I said, okay. And so she stuck her little hand out. And she said, give me five, up high, down low, in the middle. Too slow. <laughs> so do you know what I did? Reached out and slapped her in the face. Was that too slow? Now, I did not do that. But that would have taught her a lesson about lying. I said, Sarah Beth, you promised. You said that you were not going to move your hand, but she did. She moved it right out of the way. I want everybody in this room, as best as you're able, to look me in the eyes because I want to tell you something you need to hear. When you reach out for Jesus' hand, it will be there. He's not playing any sort of cruel joke. He's not going to disappoint you. He's not going to not be faithful. We go through a lot of periods in life when we hurt. When we're disappointed. When we are confused. When we are broken. And we need somebody to help us. And when we come to the end of everything else and say, Jesus, I'm reaching out for you, he will be there. Sometimes people have a hard time believing that. The greatest proof that Jesus' hand will be there is that cross where he died. 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to this earth and he said, I'll take their place for all of the sins that they've ever committed and ever will commit. I will take them myself and pay the price for them so that instead of judgment, they can be forgiven. And when we turn to him and say, Jesus... Will you be there? He stretches out that hand with nail prints in them and says, I'll be here. And the centurion not only believed that Jesus could, he believed that Jesus would. And he hasn't changed. Today he still can and he still will. Our musicians are going to come and they're going to lead us in a closing song of commitment today. This Jesus, about whom we have spoken, changes lives every single day of every single week, of every single month, of every single year. Some churches in the eastern time zone or over in Europe or farther Away already have met today, and Jesus changed lives in those services this morning.
And now we're gathered here. And churches are going to continue meeting throughout the day. And Jesus will not leave a single place where he doesn't change lives. And perhaps there are people here today whose life he wants to change. We're going to sing a song of commitment. And I'm going to be standing right here in front of the table. If anybody has questions about how to begin a relationship with God, if you are struggling through a difficult period where you need the perfect power and perfect love of Jesus to mobilize and go to work, I'll be here just for a moment or two. And if you need to talk with me, if you'd like you know, just someone to pray with, I'll be here at the front. Let's all stand together. We're going to sing together. You be obedient during our commitment time this morning.